Amen. That the word of God would revive our hearts. We pray this, this morning, right now, as you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, um, for this morning, continuing a paragraph that we started last Sunday. Would you please stand with me? And we'll read the paragraph in its entirety from Romans 15, verse 1 through verse 7. Romans 15.1, the word of the Lord says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So here is our instruction according to that obligation. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, that is, to building him up. For Christ, being the example did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You can be seated. Children, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. As I start this morning, I would comment that... uh, I think there's a certain amount of excitement when a group of people band together around something they're passionate about. I'll give you two examples. One of them I saw this morning on my way into church. As I was driving into church, there must have been a dozen vehicles with numbers of off-road type mountain bikes strapped on the back of their vehicle heading probably out to nine mile would be my guess. I'm not sure. But you saw them on your way in. I was amazed. In fact, so much that when I came in, I tried to search what bicycle event was taking place today. And some of you probably know, but I wasn't able to find it. There's one coming up in a couple weeks, but I don't know what the one is today. But a lot of mountain bikes heading into town. I thought about all those people at the same time headed to the same thing that they're really excited about. Yesterday, the Badgers played Michigan. Uh, We won't talk about much of that game, but the Badgers played Michigan. And At Camp Randall, there is this tradition between the third and fourth quarter where they play the song, Jump Around, and everyone jumps. And I was really taken back yesterday by the players of Michigan so enthusiastically participating in that tradition. But they were excited about Saturday afternoon football. And so even though they were enemies in the contest... When it came to their joint enthusiasm of something they cared about, they were united. Now, I use those two examples because it helps us see the way the one thing we should be the most enthusiastic about will be overarching. It'll be the the meta-narrative of our unity together. So we come together, not around a tradition at Camp Randall, and not around a bicycle race on a Sunday, 
we come together around this. Following Christ Jesus and glorifying God. In light of that, if that's the thing that, in, that causes us to be enthusiastic, then there are a lot of other opinions and diversities don't need to become threatening to our fellowship. We need to understand that we have, as our common fellowship, our affection and our praise, our adoration of Jesus Christ. This is the overarching interest and passion of this Christian community. It is the God of the gospel. The title for my sermon is, In Accord with Christ, An Undeniable Harmony. In Accord with Christ, An Undeniable Harmony. Verses 5 and 6, which we'll take up today, are reiterating what we were told last week in verses 2 and 3. As I've mentioned to you many times, the theme of all of Romans is the righteousness of God. This paragraph is calling Christians to follow Jesus. In other words, if it has been settled with no uncertainty that God is altogether right and good, then Romans 12 through 15 follow really reasonably with follow him, imitate him. If God in Christ Jesus has been proven beyond shadow of a doubt to be right and good, then imitating him is entirely reasonable. Following him Doing his will. Paul is going to write, all that has been written in the scripture to this point has been pointing to Jesus and is for our instruction. The practical outworking of Christianity is Christ. This morning, we'll spend time together looking at the work of Christ as being the the one element Everything else put aside, that one element binds us together. So, being in accord with Christ and the harmony of that unity that is undeniable and glorifies God. So those are the two points. Being in accord with Christ and the undeniable harmony that follows it and the way that glorifies God. Let's look at the first one. In accord with Christ, it's in verse 4 and 5. Romans 15 verse 4 says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through encouragement of scripture we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. What was written in former days. Paul is not saying every piece of ancient literature But he's still referring, as the context indicates, to Christ. Everything that's been written to this point is pointing to Christ. On the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Christ walks with his disciples. And when they finally have the revelation to realize who it was they had walked with, they said, he explained to us how all of scripture pointed to him. 
everything that has been written has been written for our instruction to see the centrality of Christ. Jesus is the center of all of time and all of human history. And we are receiving that revelation as instruction to be followers of him, to be obedient to him, to be submissive to his lordship. The reason, he says, is that we might have hope. This is a, this is a hinna clause, purpose. I like instruction with purpose. These things have been written that we might have hope. The end of verse 4. How do we have this hope? Well, first of all, this hope is present tense. Meaning that it's ongoing. It's not hope you have on a Sunday morning but can't seem to find on Monday. That we may have hope ongoing, being kind of identified as a glass is always half full. That you may have that ongoing hope. But there's an article, and and we don't see it in English. You see the last word of verse 4? It's the word hope. And you don't have an article before it in English. But there's one there. But it wouldn't make much sense if you put the word the in front of the word hope. But that's the way it reads originally. When Paul says, these things about Christ have been recorded for you to learn so that you would always have the hope. The hope. Very specific hope. Not hope that Christmas is coming. Not hope that the annual bonus is consistent. Not hope that the the new car loan is going to go through. Not just hope. The hope. The hope. The, The hope of eternal resurrection. The hope of the righteousness and the peace and the joy that is the kingdom of God. He says, having the hope based on what you've seen and heard about the centrality of Christ, requires endurance and encouragement of Scripture. Encouragement and endurance of Scripture. There is a providence from God for you and I to hear the instruction about Jesus and have hope. That providence is endurance. Here's the question. Why do I keep believing what I believed so long ago about Jesus? I'm not, I've changed a lot since I first said I believed. A lot of stuff has happened in the world. Why do I still believe? Endurance or perseverance. Why am I being kept in faith? Endurance. But then he talks about encouragement in the word. I'm confident to say, as it applies vividly in my own life, that the longer I spend in the word, the stronger 
my absolute confidence that it's true grows. Right? So, so scripture isn't something that you handle and then go, well, as long as I don't dig into it too much, I guess it's plausible. Scripture is something that the more you handle it, the more certain you become it's true. The more scripture describes this new life we have in Christ and how it's made possible as a gift of grace, the more I am convinced that it is absolutely the only way that sinners being saved could have happened. So he says, all this instruction is for you. That you would keep having the hope, the hope, that is ongoing. How? Endurance and encouragement of scripture. The apostle speaks about endurance and encouragement a lot. He says both are important. We need steadfastness in our Christian life. We need the encouragement of the Bible. Our life would be a pretty shabby thing without either. So then he gets verse 5. He refers to God. (laughs) This is really good. Don't miss this. Paul says in verse 4, listen, if you're to have any sort of quality of Christian life, the hope, you're going to need endurance and encouragement. All right, so I I just want to cover verse 4. I want to keep today's sermon short. You all had better get some encouragement and some endurance. You're dismissed. That'd be a shame, wouldn't it? It'd take us a whole week to learn that God had already given what we're in need of. Because verse 5 says, So may, here he breaks into a brief prayer, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant it. <laughs> verse 4, friends, we got a problem. Verse 5, God's the solution. That's just the way the Bible goes. So he links the God of endurance. This doesn't mean that this is a characteristic of God, but it means this is something that comes from God. Why do I still believe what I believed over 30 years ago? God, the God of endurance. He talks about encouragement. Paul in 2 Corinthians says that God is the God of all encouragement. God is the giver of steadfastness and encouragement. The very thing we need, God provides. Paul is not exhorting believers to somehow figure out how to get endurance and somehow figure out how to get encouragement. He says, this is what you need for the hope that would mark your life. And this is how God is the providence for it. So Paul then says, He says, may the God of all encouragement, may the God of endurance grant you great harmony. It is to mind the same thing, literally. To mind the same thing. Bicycle race at nine mile. College football traditions. Things that bring us together with a joint enthusiasm. To mind the same thing. This is not a prayer for uniformity, but unity. Unity of priority. 
What do we treasure? Do we treasure the very person and the completed salvation that's ours in Christ? So he says that. May he grant you great harmony in accord with Christ Jesus. I mean, as it relates to Christ, are you together or aren't you? What if, what if it was just that simple? Um, would you maybe agree with me or forgive me for being overly cynical? It seems sometimes like it's not that simple, but should be. Are you together in Christ or not? If so, harmony. But wait. This is, you have to forgive me if you think I'm being overly cynical. Sometimes it's possible for me to become maybe discouraged about the state of the church in the West. I can't speak for the church everywhere. But does it seem, does it, doesn't it seem like churches, that's not enough for them to have harmony? Like, like things like music or translations of the Bible and everything that 2020 brought. We struggle, I think. I think. I'm not, not trying to be critical, not trying to be mean, hoping not to be overly cynical, but I do think that this text is important for us because while it sounds simple to say, are you together in Christ or not? then the hope that marks us produces harmony. I know that sounds maybe overly simple, but I think it's precisely biblical. Our church gets together like this. This morning I was walking up the stairs and I glanced out in the parking lot and I happened to see a truck in the parking lot. And I thought, in, in my, I was excited because I knew that truck meant one of you was here today. And why is that? Is it because we're truck people? In other words, there can be a sort of harmony that is Christ plus something. I taught a class, Living as the Church, last quarter in Sunday school. And this was one of the things that we discussed. The church isn't Christ or gospel plus unity. It is Christ, gospel, unity. In other words, imagine if we had a church and we, we would proclaim the testimony of our unity in Christ to the lost world. And then they came one day and said, are you serious? You get all those people to come together and enjoy each other and to fellowship together? That, that's an incredible testimony of the bond you have in Christ. And then they show up for church one day. And they start walking around the church and they start talking to people. And they find out that everyone in the church is a school teacher. 
Now that person's going to leave the room saying, yeah, sure you're together in Christ. That's the school teacher church. You know, that's the young marriage church. That's the seniors church. That's the contemporary music church. That's the conservative church. That's the hand-raising church. Is, is that the testimony of the church? Is it Christ plus something? Or is it we are here together in the hope, endurance, encouragement of the word, in harmony as it accords to Christ? This goes back to verse 3. Wondering how to do life together. Verse 3. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach, the offenses that were committed against God, Christ bore those at the cross. So, looking to Christ as the example. Being in accord to Christ. Saying, we have Christ. And maybe not much else. Maybe not much else. The question is, how does a group of people like us maintain ongoing unity? That's the question. The answer is this. How can a people like us not maintain unity? The question is, how can this group of people, younger, older, more financially comfortable, more financially burdened, Conservative, progressive. There's like half a dozen things I want to poke at, but let's skip that. How does a church like this one ever hope to stay together? That's the question. And the answer is, how could a church like this one not stay together? How could we not endure and how could we not be charitable, and how could we not love, and how could we not be patient? We have Christ together. I mean, there's people pulling their mountain bikes out to the country in our neighborhood today. Do you think that COVID opinions or politics are going to cause some people to get the bike off the rack, set it down, and go, oh, Oh, I thought this was a Republican bikes race. (laughs) And put their bike back up? No. They have something that they're excited about in that moment that binds them together. So how does a church of Christ followers stay together? The answer is, how does a church of Christ followers not? There's something that binds us. Our Holy Savior brought us into fellowship with God while we were still sinners. While we were still sin-cursed blasphemers, Christ has made us to enjoy harmony with God. Okay, okay, just think now. Here I am. Ephesians 2. I'm born in the trespasses of sin. I am of my father, the devil. I'm going about doing evil like the rest of mankind. 
And then over here is God, clothed in holiness and splendor, awesome in majesty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. A little different? little diversity? What binds those two together? What's here? Jesus is here. There is one mediation between holy and sinner. Christ Jesus. And so now here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to point out to you. If that is our gospel DNA, then how do the preferences that have been mentioned in Romans 14 and 15 threaten our fellowship? Like meat and drinking and holy days. To be united together with Christ is our unity. To be in accord with Christ. There are some passages in the scripture that create in me and probably in you a great vexed spirit. Like, let me give you a couple. Most, most of the time it's Jesus who says something like, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path to righteousness, and few there be that find it. Or, also Jesus, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, many will come and stand in front of me, and they will say, Lord, Lord! And he will reply, depart from me, you are a worker of iniquity, and I do not know you. That's vexing. Because what that says is there are not nearly as many Christ followers as there are people who think they're on their way to heaven. This is another one. With all of the contention among Christians, this passage says, hey, if you have Christ in common, that other stuff won't pull you apart. Yet, there are self-identifying Christians who are pulled apart all the time, regularly. That's vexing. That sounds to me like there are not nearly as many Christians as there are people who are saying they're Christians. However, In that reality, it's not all bleak. While the world might easily look around and say, "Ah, the church is not what it claims to be. It's just another group of people who are a little bit more religiously sensitive than we are. In that climate, when maybe that's a reasonable criticism against supposed Christ followers, there's opportunity, like Matthew 5, to be the true church of Jesus Christ. We, we have an opportunity to let our light so shine before them that they would see our unity in Christ and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So, being in accord with Christ is the sort of overarching DNA. And then second, 
There is divine harmony, harmony and undeniable glory of God. A divine harmony and undeniable glory of God. Let's look at verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he starts verse 6 with a purpose statement that together with one voice. One voice. Hama thumas. With the same emotion. The same emotion. How many of you, if I can ask you, how many of you are uh, bicyclists? You enjoy spending time on your bike, Gary? Yeah? Good? 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 Yeah? I knew that one. Okay. Yeah? Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I see you ride by church. Different kind of bike, but I see you. All right. Those of you who are bicycle enthusiasts, since we're using that example of the bike race today outside of town, you can get together and talk with people who don't have a lot else in common with you and you can speak with the same emotion. This word, hamethumas, was used in extra-biblical literature. So in in ancient non-Bible literature, it was used for political parties. Political parties. I mean, listen, this makes sense. On my TV, I'm trying to think if I should say, I'll just say this. On my TV, there are two competing media outlets that are on channels back to back. So, So if I go up one channel, I get a very liberal, very progressive media presentation and if i go down one channel i get a very very conservative media presentation one channel away and i don't know what they're going to talk about this evening but i know exactly what they're both going to sound like right if i go down one channel they're going to say those people on the other side are all of the problem no matter what they want they're the problem and then, I'll, okay, can't listen to that anymore. Click. Those people over there are all of the problem. So then just turn on some Grey Havens radio and turn off the TV. That political persuasion, it's so predictable. You, you can anticipate what they're going to say, how they're going to sound. No matter what the idea is, it's going to be a bad one because the other person had it. That's that presupposed idea. Hey, listen, you didn't come up with it. But you've just been told you have to have it. Because whether you're a this channel kind of person or a this channel kind of person, you probably have a lot of ideas because you've just been convinced that's the way we think in this news channel. That's Hamethumas. Christian unity does not come from an obligation to clean ourselves up, act nicely. But when we speak with the same voice, just like the way we've been conditioned by our political parties, we 
are acting in response to God. Christian unity isn't something we're told to do. Christian unity comes from who we are. There is a divine harmony. And we speak with one voice. Let me ask you a very, very important question. Very, very, very important. It is as important as any question I've ever asked. If the church could have one voice, one anthem, just one sermon, sing just one song, be identified by just one newspaper headline, have just one claim to fame, get just one paragraph of written testimony about us, what would it be? If we only got to say one thing to anyone who would stop and listen to us, if we had one voice, all of us together, if the local newspaper editor came to us and said, I'm writing an article about your church, what do you want the headline to be? If we had to finally pick out one song that we were going to sing five times a week until the Lord comes. What would we want the one voice to be? So that together you may with one voice glorify God. If the editor came and asked us what we want the headline to be, would we say with one voice, our God is glorious? Just one song. Glory, glory, glory. Glory to his name. Just one sermon. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we had just one voice together, and it wasn't any of the other noise, would it be glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? A symphony of praise to God in which each voice blends together perfectly with all the other voices to the glory of God. To have one voice that says the family's anthem. Glorifying God with our voice. Of course, you understand, please, that glorifying God with our voice can't be synthesized. You know what that means? It means you can't make it. You can't... Here, here, here would be a way to synthesize. Um, let, me just take, uh, let me just take one second. Doxology. Um, doxology is a big word. It, it means to, to be, to speak, to say things oriented to the glory of God. Doxology. Okay, it's very important. Doxology. You should know, all know that word. Okay? <clears throat> In order to get doxology, people who are proclaiming the glory of God, you can't just take out one part world put in one part Bible truth and get worship. You, you can't just get doxology by just taking out a little bit of this and we'll put in a dash of this and then we'll get the glory of God. I want you to understand that what's being described here is divine, done by God. It is God-breathed into our innermost being and then it is drawn out of us 
in spirit-led, genuine yearning for his fame. Glorify God. It is first done by God. It is only unleashed by the work of regeneration in Christ. And then it is drawn out of us by the Spirit. God yearning jealously for the worship of his fame. Verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The way that we patiently and lovingly have harmony together is about worship. When we have harmony in our diversity, without condemning each other, we are doing what Christ has done on our account. We call attention to the fountainhead of patience and encouragement, Christ himself. He says in verse 7, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Accepting others is not easy, but it is what Christ has done. One author on this text says this, Forgiven people are forgiving people. If you lack a spirit of forgiveness in your life toward others, that would indicate that you have no understanding of your own forgiveness at the hands of Christ. Listen to what I mean. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God has displayed his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Church, here's what I want you to take away this morning. If you look at our text, you'll find that the sort of harmony that's being described, we're being instructed to. The strong, you're obligated. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good, for the edification of each other. The harmony that's being described is not something you're being told to just get better at. It's a gift granted to us from God. That's why Paul prays for it. He doesn't beg you to do it. He prays to God that God would do it. Our harmony is not sentiment. He says we will live in it. It will mark the way we operate day in and day out. He says, thirdly, it's the result of our being in accord with Christ. That means we are together in his salvation. We are operating according to his name and his testimony. And we are obedient to his will. This is not, look at how great Christ is and try to do better. This is, Christ has done all of this in divine salvation. This is how the Christian church is. Our harmony is not what makes us Christian. Christ makes us Christian and his work in us produces harmony. So, a lot of things bring people together. A lot of things make people put up with each other. 
Michigan, and Wisconsin. Excited together. Republicans, maybe Democrats, biking together. Let's be passionate about our neighbor's edification. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Let's be passionate about Christ-like mindfulness of others more than ourselves. And what Christ has done, the end of verse 7 explains it. To glorify the Father. When Christ serves others, when he patiently endured while we were yet sinners, he did this to the glory of the Father. You'll be tempted to break Christian fellowship with other brothers and sisters. At some point you will. Maybe you're being tempted with it right now. As you weigh out how you respond to that temptation, know for certain that your harmony, endurance, encouragement, your unity is to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text that continues to equip us to be faithful to the testimony of our Lord. To say that we are a group of people who are following Christ puts on us then a great privilege of worship. To be what you have made us to be. To not blaspheme the work of regeneration, but to have our testimony honest among the Gentiles, and glorify you. So God, we pray that you would continue to equip us, cause the the bond of unity to persevere, because the certainty, the encouragement, the endurance that comes to us by being in accord with Christ is an undeniable reality that we might be to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.